everybody, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. With me this week is my fantastic co-host, Joe. Joe, how you doing? I am doing well. How about yourself? Uh, all life is pain, and I'm, I'm dying inside, crawling in my skin. These wounds, they, they will not heal. Uh, anyway. <laughs> that is the second time today I've heard somebody recite that. Yeah, what can I tell you? Um, I used to actually think that was a little overwrought, but nowadays I'm, I'm pretty pretty on board with that, that whole lyric. But yeah, they, they uh, kind of just move straight into stuff today, guys, because uh, Ian Hazacostas, who's the game director for, for World of Warcraft, if you don't know, um, and I don't know how you don't know, but nevertheless, uh, he did an interview today. Uh, he was on a live stream, Zoltan TV, uh, and we really don't have the like, ability to go over everything because for one thing it was, you know, it was a live stream on Twitch. Yeah. So basically have to go by live blogs and so forth. But uh, one of the things we, we do know for certain is that if you play a demon hunter and you've always wanted to have more than one demon hunter on your server, but you can't because there's a restriction there demon hunters have, you can only have one per server that's going away in shadowlands. Uh, because Demon Hunters will no longer start at a super high level because everybody can level through every expansion now. And you could start Legion at level 10 and get to level 50 through it. Mm -hmm. As a result of that, that's the level Demon Hunters and Death Knights and Monks will start at. Uh, I think it's Demon Hunters and Death Knights start at level 8 and then they go through their starting experience and that gets them to level 10. I don't know if monks just start at level one like everybody else because they used to. Yeah, I don't know about that and either. It would make sense if they did, but I haven't actually tried. That's my bad. I'm in the the alpha, so I totally could, and I just forgot. Um, but we do know that demon hunters and demon hunters and death knights start at eight and then go to level ten. Uh, if you're playing an allied race character, you will also start at level ten. You will not even have a, a starting experience. You'll just be level ten. And you can pick what expansion you're going to go to. Again, unless this is your first character. But So if, if you're playing a Demon Hunter and you've always liked Demon Hunters and wanted to have more than one on your server, uh, I don't know what kind of lunatic plays more than one of a certain class. That's just crazy talk. But if that's the kind of thing you want to do... Uh, Joe is can, probably right now choking on me saying that, considering both of us play more than one of, this, of different classes. Um, uh, he is, he's got more than one Shaman. I've got, I do. Uh, 30-something warriors in various levels. Yeah. Um, but, Although I was yeah. going to say, uh, Sage, Sage Time does say that uh, in chat that only DKs and Demon Hunters start above one. Confirm. Okay, and allied races. Yeah. Allied races start at above one as well. But, yeah, so so you'll be able to like now play your de multiple Demon Hunters on the same server if you want to. And they've done that because, quite frankly, it's not going to matter anymore. Right now... If you start if you start a demon a, a, a demon hunter you start at level 100 you jump frog right over a ton of content uh, and if you're trying to get a, a character up to max level fast that's a huge lead it's 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 great uh, so they didn't want people to have like 10 demon hunters on one server all at level like max level I understand why they did that but it's not necessary anymore so that's going away um, I'm I think that's great I don't know what you think about it Joe I think it's fine. I think it's right. good. The other thing to mention from from the interview that Ian did was they were talking about the 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 delay that people are talking about for uh, Shadowlands. You've heard Joe and I both say that we thought there would probably be a delay, uh, and and Ian basically made sure to say that there isn't going to be a delay. That they are committed to getting the game out. 
2020. Now, keep in mind, if you go look at your pre-order, if you've pre-ordered Shadowlands already, if you go look at it, it says on or before December 31st, 2020. So when Ian says it'll be out in 2020, what he is saying is we haven't come up with a date for it yet, so it can't, by definition, be late. Mm -hmm. We can't delay it when we haven't announced when it's coming out. But he also said, uh, and this is something he directly said, that after an initial you know hiccup because they were like retooling to figure out how to how to work from home, they've actually been very productive, and that the, he doesn't believe there will be a delay for the game. Uh, I hope he's right. I think that would be great. Um, I I have a hard time believing it, but you know I do know that this this is a team full of really talented people, and if they if they're telling me they can do it, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but yeah. Uh, since you and I both talked about it, Joe, I want, well, let's. What do you think? Let's get your reaction in here. I am surprised. Um, I think it, it's a good thing if they can deliver on that. Um, I'm excited to hear that they've been super productive from home. Uh, but I am also. I, this is just me in the back of my mind. Is one of those things when you work from home all of the time. Uh, when you're used to working in an office all the time, sometimes you overdo it uh, and you burn yourself out. And I'm hoping that that isn't what's going to wind up happening, because if that happens to too many people all at once, it's terrible when it happens to anyone. But if it happens in mass, then, you know, there's your delay right there. So I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that things will stay on track and everything's going to be great. Uh, I was really, really shocked to hear that, though. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's a bunch more in the interview, but like I said, it literally just came out today, and Joe and I basically just got a time to look at it once. Um, the there was one other so thing that a, did catch my eye. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, which is just the uh, there was a statement that was made that I don't think I've heard him say before, which is that the team could do a better job of listening to feedback. Yes, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard them admit that. Oh no, they admitted it like last year. He's admitted that plenty of times. I'll say what you want about Ian. He's never had a hard time admitting that they have a trouble. I think the last time they talked about it, he made the point that sometimes it's hard to implement feedback. Like you get it, but there's not much you can do with it because in order to actually change direction would be a, a, a big deal. Yeah, especially you know? like he, in the interview, he was talking about like a lot of that in the past had to do with uh, changes coming out late in development cycles. So like that's why one of the reasons why they're trying to push so many things so quickly to get feedback now so that if something needs to pivot or change, they can. And it, that all combined just seems like a much more mature approach than how they've been doing it in the past, which is like, even in battle for Azeroth with the beta stuff, like they were making really deep changes, like a couple weeks before the game released. And like, you can't always do that and be effective. And you can see that sometimes. So the fact that they're they're they have that in mind now, that's good. That shows growth. Yep. Um, I will also mention uh, one thing I, I heard people talking about was uh, there there was a he mentioned that they are thinking about they have not committed to they are thinking about doing Burning Crusade for for classic. They, they don't have anything to announce, they have, they, but it is what they are thinking about doing next. If they do anything else, it would be Burning Crusade. 
Uh, it's not going to be Burning Crusade and Wrath at the same time. It's not going to skip straight to Wrath. It's going to be, if they do anything, it will be Burning Crusade. But that's that's just, that's as far as they've gotten. That's all they've got to announce on that subject. Um, which, you know, I don't think anyone's surprised. But I thought it should be mentioned. Yeah, I agree. But now that we've talked about that, we've we've covered it to a degree. There's not really a whole heck of a lot else to talk about uh, announcement-wise. The Alpha's still trucking along. They released uh, they released Revendreth last week. Uh, I've been there. It's cool. It's creepy. Um, I, I think I said in one of the things I wrote about it that it reminded me of Ravenloft. Yeah, and that's what a lot of people are saying. It definitely has a Ravenloft vibe. So since we know that that's happening, we can you know pretty much just stipulate it and then move on. So... We've got a bunch of emails this week, and, and of course, some stuff from, from uh, Discord as well. So, Joe, if you don't mind reading them. Not oh, wait, before, before you do, do your I thing. almost forgot. Uh, if you want to send us an email, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch, so we know it's for this show. Um, unless you ask a Diablo question, and then I'm going to yoink it and put it in this email, because uh, that wasn't fair, man. You can't just go <laughs> throwing Diablo questions at me. Uh or you can ask questions on Discord. We have a, a patron Q and podcast question channel, and, and I'm totally willing to go look at that. And Joe's going to be trying to keep an eye on chat this week, and he'll throw stuff in when he gets a chance. Absolutely. Uh, now, go ahead, Joe. All right. Our first question. Hello to the Frozen Air Watchers. I've played every expansion uh, to include vanilla, but that doesn't mean I've never taken breaks, sometimes very long breaks from the game for various reasons. So I missed the battle for Undercity completely. I've heard people talk about it, but unfortunately, I cannot go back and experience it myself because of its removal from the game. But it seems like such an important lore moment, especially going into Shadowlands and the focus on Sylvanas. Can you guys kind of give a narrative of the lore, the playing of, and your own takes on the experience? Please let me see this moment through, through your recollection. Thank you so much. Also, uh, I love that Lore Watch is weekly now. You guys rock. Uh, this is from Daddy, uh, Torn Warrior Tank from Lightbringer US. Well, I guess I'm going to have to say thanks, Daddy, uh, for your continued support, and I'm glad you enjoy the show. So what do you think, Matt? Um, I mean, that's that's a lot, but I mean, it's a, it's a whole lot. Basically, um, I'll tell you right now, uh, you can still kind of get a sense of it because you can still do the stuff that's that's in uh, Dragonblight, and especially if you're Horde, I recommend doing that stuff. Like, do the whole Dragonblight questing experience, and get up to the Wrathgate moment because it is, it is such a rug pullout moment. If you're playing as Horde, um, get get up to that moment. Then what happens basically after you get to that moment? Are you going to talk about this? Like, should I just say what happens in that moment? Like, go for it. Yeah. Basically, if you're Horde, you you do a whole bunch of stuff for the local Forsaken who are like you know there because they want to they they're against the Lich King, and so you do a bunch of stuff for them. And then, when you get up to the Wrathgate, you're there with a bunch of other Horde. You're there with uh with Sarfang's son, uh, yep. Drenosh. Drenosh Sarfang. Believe me, you'll hear that name again if you ever run Ice Crown Citadel. Um. And as you're preparing to go in, uh, the Horde and the Alliance together are going to go up, and it's like a this is the most unified ever. Like it's even more unified than when the Might of Kalimdor existed. This is the Horde and Alliance standing shoulder to shoulder, uh, going up against the Lich King. Yep, they're right on his doorstep at this point. 
as he comes out to confront them, and there's a whole back and forth, uh, Sorfang charges. Sorfang the, the Younger charges the Lich King, thinking he can take him out one-on-one. Doesn't work well for him. Uh, he gets his, his father's axe, gets destroyed, and he gets his soul ripped out of his body. Again, you'll, you'll see him again in, in Ice Crown Citadel, but basically he gets death knighted. Uh, he gets his soul ripped out of his body by Frostmourne, and then before Bolvar can say or do much of anything other than make a threat, the, there's a sudden explosion, and Arthas says that he, he's like Sylvanas. He thinks it's Sylvanas, but it's not. It's the, the Forsaken Apothecary Putress, who you've been working for as a Horde member. You've been doing quests for this guy. You've, yeah, you've been helping you, him set this all up. And he he basically says, "Did you think we have you know? Did you think we have forgotten? Did you think we had forgiven? Now face the terrible vengeance of the Forsaken, death to the scourge, and death to the living." And as you stand there, he bombs everybody, including you. Yep. Including the horde, he hits everybody with the up the new and improved plague, and it's bad enough to make the Lich King wretch. Like, the Lich King runs away. There's no other way to describe it. He doesn't run particularly fast, because he's the Lich King, and he's wearing, like, three and a half tons of armor. But, yeah, he does not stick around. And from there, after that happens, you get sent back, where you go to you go to Orgrimmar, brought to report to Thrall that the Forsaken have turned on the Horde, and Sylvanas is right there. And she's like, yeah, they totally kicked me out of Undercity. And Thrall you know, saddles up with you and you go to get the deep. It turns out that Varimathras, the demon that we last saw in Legion had turned on Sylvanas after working for her for years. Um, if you played in, in classic or TBC or even the beginning of wrath, Varimathras was right there in the undercity, right next to Sylvanas. He was always there, but he had, he had betrayed her and made a deal with Putress and to, the Royal Apothecary Society. Yeah. Yep, to turn on to turn on Sylvanas and take over Undercity. So Sylvanas and Thrall and you go to Undercity to take over. Meanwhile, on the Alliance side, Varian loses himself because Bolvar. Yeah, his Bolvar best friend. Was a, yeah, Bolvar was his friend. Bolvar was the one who who took over and protected his son while Anixia was trying to destroy the kingdom. Bolvar was like the regent lord that that ruled Stormwind while Varian was off getting you know magically torn apart and put back together and all that stuff. So this is a guy who spent uh, like much of Anduin's early years were spent learning under Bolvar. If you played Alliance at the time, you remember Bolvar from the Anixia quest where like he beat the heck out of multiple dragons by himself. Uh, so Bolvar's death set Varian off, and Varian was like, no. We're gonna, we're done letting them do this to Undercity. We're done letting you know. We're done with letting Undercity exists in the ruins of Lordaeron. We're done letting them mock all the people we lost. And he like goes to Undercity with a full army, and he's mad. So at the same time, Thrall and Sylvanas are going in through one direction. Varian's leading an alliance military force through the other direction. Mm-hmm. And so each of them kills one of the important people. The Horde take on. Uh, Varimathras and inside Sylvanas' throne room while the Alliance fight Putress inside where the uh, apothecaries... And by the way, if you've ever heard people say things like the Horde likes to torture civilians and they have a bunch of gnomes in cages and all that, 
this is where we're talking about it from because that's where you find them. Yeah. They have a whole bunch testing of like alliances that they're they're testing the plague on. Even gnomes, dwarves, humans, the whole the whole kit and caboodle. So you kill Putris. Uh, if you're playing Alliance side, you and Varian kill Putris. If you're playing Horde side, you kill Varimothris. This, by the way, is the, the location of the first time we hear Sargeras speak in World of Warcraft. Because when Varimothris is losing, he like calls out to, to Sargeras for aid. doesn't say his name, but that's who he's calling out to. And Sargeras is like, you've, you've disappointed me for the last time. And that's the first time we hear Sargeras talk in World of Warcraft. Uh, what am I leaving out? You go. I think you covered most of the major beats. Like the the whole point of it is like this is the big setup for a whole lot of things that are are going to wind up happening years and years and years down the road, right? Like the whole Varimothers thing. His his defeat is what feeds into when we find him in Legion, uh, and that whole thing and everything that happens there. Uh, this leads into the whole Bolvar thing with him becoming the Lich King and and everything that happens there. Like this is one of the most important moments, uh, the Wrathgate and this, the battle for the Undercity. Um, let's see. I think I think the other big thing to note too was I think the aftermath of it. So Varimothris, Putris were killed, and then you have Varian who confronts Thrones of Honest. They fight a little bit. Uh, Lady uh, Jaina Proudmore intervenes and freezes the combatants and teleports the Alliance forces out. Uh, and honestly, like that sets the tone for a lot of years after this because Varian very clearly was going to win. Like there was no doubt in, in my mind as a horde player at the time that Varian was going to win that fight. And if Jaina didn't intervene, it would have been a whole different ball game. Um, let's see. Then uh, that's where the Kokron guard with uh, what is his name? Bloodfist. I want to say Bloodfist. Like yeah, I think so. Goes to the apothecarium, completely like destroys it, and then starts occupying the Undercity. And that's where we start to see that sort of uh, Big Brother esque uh, orc thing going on, like this moment defines so many more years that come afterwards with the Karkron, with what happens with Garrosh after that, with, you know, Varian's sort of disposition with Jaina and, and how she still is protecting the Horde in particular protecting Thrall when most people at this point are already starting to think she should stop. Like it, it's, it's hard to, there are a handful of moments in this game where you look back and you say, that was definitely a turning point where they started making a decision. This is one of them, right? This is one of the things where, like, they started to figure out where they were going to go narratively for the next several years and expansions. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with all that. <laughs> uh, as far as, like, the reactions, because I think that's the next big part of it, it's... Looking at this as a player, because I was doing this as Horde. I'm you were Alliance at the time, right? Actually, I played both Alliance and Horde back then. Okay, but I mean, as a Horde player, for me, it was one of those moments where, like, and I, I played both at that time too, because that was Wrath. Um, it was weird because that's one of those things where, like, I'm starting to realize this band of misfits has a blind spot, 
And if they were so trusting of Aramothris to begin with, like that was real dumb on uh, Sylvanas's part. Like that was to me out of character as far as that goes. Like why would she trust him so much? And that winds up happening. And then I realize that that sets her tone too. Like that further sends her down that path of distrust, that further path of all that big brother spying and everything else. Like, because she has to know what's going on and this increased paranoia. And actually I'll be, uh, I'll be completely upfront with you. Sure. Since I knew Sylvanas was the one who ordered that plague made in the first place, I have never been entirely sure that she didn't know exactly what he was doing and decided to let it happen to justify clearing them out. And but, but the, the whole thing with the Corcoran in the words of, of Taran Zhu, where are they now? By letting the Corcoran do what they did, by letting them occupy Undercity and watch her, she set them up so that when Garrosh eventually went too far, they were they got taken out. And now there's no Corcoran. Like yep, when she true. became war chief, there was nobody to watch her. There was nobody in charge. Like it's it's fascinating. I'm not 100% on this, but I think Varimothris says things in Legion that make me think I'm right. Like when Varimothris is like, you poor fools, you have no idea what you're dealing with with her. You know, I think that's, there's there's a lot to it. There's a ton of stuff that happened in the Wrathgate and, and in battle for, in the Battle for Undercity. I do think they should put it out again as a scenario or something. I, I think they well, should too. I think it's one of those things that players should experience or have the ability to experience, even if it's just a scenario. I, I 100% agree. I'm trying to think, is there any anything else we want to add on that? Do we think? I think I'm pretty good. I think we covered the thing. Yeah, I think so too. All right, so hopefully that answers your question, Daddy, and uh, hopefully you get a little feel for it. And hopefully if any of the folks at Blizzard are listening, maybe that could be one of your next projects. Make it a scenario. Let, let players experience it again. Uh, a next question comes from Perilous, who is a Death Knight. Uh, a friend and I got into a verbal tussle today. Uh, are the current Wrath-type Death Knights undead? They're not Forsaken-type. Well, unless you roll a Forsaken Death Knight. Recovered Scourge undead. My opinion is that they're not, as they've had their souls reamed out and are emotional vampires dependent on suffering to survive. His opinion is that, unlike Forsaken in general, Death Knights need to breathe and are thus living, not undead. I I don't know, man. I have an interesting thought about this the other day when I was playing my Death Knight on the, on the uh, Alpha, and I saw that Lichborn's back. I don't okay. know if Lichborn's actually still in the game right now, but my character had it on the bait, on the alpha, and I started thinking about the fact that Lichborn, you channel necrotic energy to temporarily become undead. If I'm already undead, why am I temporarily becoming undead? Yeah, and I mean, if we go by the the Terran Gore sort of like stasis, it's not technically undead because it is a living soul inside of a vessel. So it's kind I mean, of like it's, in between. It's it's interesting to think about. It's it's the use of necromantic magic to rip the soul out of the body and then jam it back either into the body or into somebody else's body. And I think the body did die. Mm-hmm. 
but I don't think it counts currently as undead. But I'm not 100% on this. Like, if Blizzard came out tomorrow and said, oh, no, they're undead, I'm willing to accept that because the whole thing with, like, the, the psychic vampire who needs pain and suffering to survive, that's a pretty undead thing to be. Um, but I'm also willing to accept the idea that there's some kind of quasi-undead. Because like, here's the thing. Bolvar isn't undead. Bolvar is worse. Bolvar is, should be dead, but the power of the red dragon flight is keeping him alive. Yeah. That's before he put on the helmet and became the Lich King. So he's actually worse than undead. And I think it's possible you can view the undead, the, the death knights as a similar kind of thing where they're in a state between life and death. So they are undead, but they're not undead. Here's a, here's a weird question for you. And I'm just starting to think about this. There's a lot of death knights that were formerly warriors or followers of the light and the divine path that have been, you know, in previous things, their bodies twisted, but here their souls are being shoved back into their bodies. And it rings very similar to like what happened with Kalia. Like with, with, with Madame Menethil, she's a creature that's not quite undead, but not really alive. She's a, a, a fusion of death and life essentially into one vessel but Death Knights kind of did it first. They're sort of the hipsters of that whole process, if you really think about it. Like, look at, um, why can't I think of her name? White Mane. Like, she was a high priest of the light. She was a disciplined priest. She was definitely a servant, and now she's a Death Knight. Uh, how many paladins were raised as Death Knights? How many, you know, knights in service to the light? Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. Like, if that... It, if that's the case, are they the same thing Kalia is potentially? I don't think they are. Uh, I think the thing Kalia is is very different because um, I think the light chose Kalia. Whereas I'm going to use the example I always use when we talk about the light and Death Knights and Undead Zeliac. Zeliac has enormous faith and enormous command over the light mm -hmm. so that he can use it. And here's the thing here's Zeliac is a reason why I think maybe Death Knights are undead. Because all the way back when they first brought Nax back in Nax, the Nax 25, they didn't ask a sea dev when they were talking about what the holy light does to the undead. Yeah, I remember this, the cauterization and, and Yeah, pain. that it, burn, it, 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 it it can heal them, but it heals them in a way that is agonizingly painful to them because it burns away the, the damage. It basically, it's less, it's less healing as regeneration of tissue and more, well, all that stuff that's bothering you is gone now. But it's like taking a blowtorch to a wound to burn away the, the wound part. It's not pleasant. Zeliac can command the light through sheer faith, but it's agonizing for him. And I think it's a case of, I think the undead are not like, they're not like the Forsaken, but they are like, like, um, oh, what's, what's the name? He, he's one of the most annoying guy in the entire game. Why can't I remember his name? Ronan? No. No, not even close. <laughs> Uh, the the undead who's who like literally wanders around looking for like a one single good word from Sylvanas, he's like an utter you know lick spittle. Uh, undead boyfriend. Nathanos. Yeah. Nathanos. Okay. Nathanos and Sylvanas are a type of undead that I think Death Knights are similar to. 
where like they've they they're more they're not like rotting their bodies aren't decomposing because they've used more necromantic magic mm-hmm. the power that they got from the valkyr and in the case of death knights it's the power that the lich king had to render their bodies like in a state like death but isolated for not touched by it it's like they've they're Remove dead themselves they're, from that yeah, their bodies are you know are further along that path whereas most forsaken stuff is falling off them like if you read a uh, before the storm that talk about like how you know it's not so much getting healed as it is getting like you know new parts sewn on like if, if it gets bad enough you, your jaw falls out the best they can do is strap a new jaw on there that sort of thing and so i think they are i think i'm going to say that i think they are undead i think they are dead bodies but they're animated by their original souls jammed back into them. And it's a different experience than Forsaken or Scourge. See, and I they're, think I'm I think I'm gonna go with the fact that not they're not undead. I'm gonna go with something other because we just talked about how they're removed from that cycle. And the undead still technically are in that cycle because they can still decay and they still fall apart. They still can deteriorate to nothing. Death Knights won't on their own. It's almost like they've got a one up. Uh, essentially, as far as, you know, looking at it. So I, I think I'm going to go with other. I'm going to go with undefined. I don't think, I think they're that weird stasis in between state. Do well, I hope that answer worked for you, pal. I hope so. <laughs> All right. Our next one. Yo, Voyeurs of Hibernus. Uh, Nargalad of Valeria again. This is a three-parter. Of all the Easter eggy NPCs we could find in the Shadowlands, who is the Easter eggiest? Uh, second part, why is it Mankirk's wife? Third part, what other minor characters would it be ter- would it be a terrible missed opportunity in Blizzard's part if we did not stumble across them? As always, thank you for ever so for your sagacious consideration. I mean, I've thought about it would be kind of cool if we meet this, like, heroic figure, possibly, like, one of the Kyrian, who turns out to be Mankirk's wife. <laughs> but we know that the Kyrian don't remember, or at least most of them don't. They, they very deliberately give up their memories of their mortal lives. It's part of the whole becoming a Kyrian thing. So, I mean, there's a quest. I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything to say. There's a quest where you see a Tauren. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the Kyrian, it's like, it's a Kyrian when you see him, but then they put him through a ritual and he's supposed to forget his past life and you're supposed to help him. And you see like all the, like Torin that were his life, they're his loved ones, his, his mother, his father, his, his siblings, his loved ones. And you, so, you know, oh, that Kyrian used to be a Torin. Uh, so very easily Mankirk's wife could be a Kyrian. Um, but you know, who knows, maybe we'll go to like Maldraxxus and she's like, I, I think it would be cool if she was like in the military there or something. It would be neat if we saw her, but I don't know that we will. Um, I honestly, for me, I'm going to keep going with something that Anna said a while back. I'm going to go with, with Amber Kiernan. Okay. Because Amber Kiernan got, got royally cheated out of a good story. She just like, she gets murdered out like off camera to like, to like do the uh, rogue order hall storyline. And I, I really felt like that's that she was a fun character. I liked her. Um, I liked a lot of the SI seven people. And then there's the there's there's two sisters, and I can never remember their names. There's two orc sisters that are a big part of the Grizzly Hill storyline for Horde. 
Uh, I think one's Gorgona and the other is I can't remember if it's Krenna or something. But I liked them a lot. They're in one of the short stories. They talk to Grenna Gorosh. and Grenna and Gorgana, Gorgana, because that was the. Uh, oh, I know the quest you're talking about. Sorry, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but but I'd like to see like the one that died. You know, see her in the the quote unquote afterlife. If you're going to see like anybody, also Blackhand's daughter Griselda, she yes. got royally cheated out of a life her father used fell magic to age her up into adulthood and then like when she rebelled she got murdered by the horde um yeah she she just really didn't didn't have a good life so i i could imagine her being real bitter and arrogant and that thus she could be in revendreth that'd be kind of cool um yeah so those those are ones i'm thinking of you so uh you and I agree on most all of them. Uh, I, I don't have anything wrong or, or anything in opposition to any of the ones you said. But I'm going to go with a funny one here, and one that if it's not the Easter Eggius inclusion and isn't in Shadowlands, I will be sorely disappointed. Uh, and this is something that in Cataclysm made me very, very angry, and I've never felt right about it. Bring back old Blanche, dang it. Old Blanche died. In a level 10 slash a level 11 quest. I think it was like murder was the case they gave me. And Blanche has been dead since Cataclysm. And that is a tragedy. I want to see an angelic, spirit, fey-filled Blanche roaming around Ardenweld. If they don't have something like that, I think that they're not committed to Easter eggs. Because that would just be such a deep pull that I think a lot of people have forgotten about. And yes, there are more serious uh, storylines and people that we can we could definitely pull back. But I just think that would be one of those hilarious moments where those of us who have been playing this game forever and remember young Blanche and old Blanche from the olden times, uh, it would be one heck of a pull. Have him come. Have have Blanche come back with the entire. Uh, uh, Furlbrow family because I think they all got murdered. Yeah, they all got murdered by just like random thugs back during that well, time they too. It wasn't actually random thugs. It was their their uh, it was uh, Van Cleve's daughter. Of, yeah, who did it? Yeah, but but it's like yeah, there we go. Bring back Blanche. That's that's my poll. <laughs> all uh, right, not, I gotta admit I hadn't thought about old Blanche. <laughs> Hey, you ask for Easter eggs, you get Easter eggs. Uh, our next one comes from Metal Zani, who I think I saw in chat earlier. So hello, Metal Zani. Question for Blizzard Watch. Hello, thy watchers of Blizzard. With Shadowlands on the way, do you think Blizzard will revamp any classic dungeons? If so, what one would you wish to get the revamp? Personally, I'd like to see Zulfarak revamp to show some connection to Moizala or to show why Sanfury Trolls can be made in customization. Do you have a, a pick for classic? Because, I mean, honestly, Zulfarak is one that I've been thinking about since they announced Shadowlands. And since this expansion with Battle for Azeroth, that I've been thinking that Moezala was one of the ones orchestrating a whole bunch of stuff in the background. But, like, he hasn't really been an important thing up until this point. There's been mentions of it. I think a nice rework of Zulfarak with maybe some more influence from Waisala and some more insight into the, the Sand Fury Trolls would be absolutely amazing. It would be something that I actually would legitimately be happy to see. 
What about you? Yeah, I'm going to say I don't really want to see any more dungeons get revamped. Uh, I feel like we've kind of... We've lost a lot of dungeons over the years. Not lost them exactly, but they've changed enough that you don't get the original experience anymore. And in some cases, that's for the best. Like Maradon. Maradon. Mm-hmm. Do a Maradon the old way. No, no, thank you. Oh, oh God. But- that was just not my thing, buddy. But I, I, I will say this. Um, apparently I won't say it. What? Why? Mouth not work. What happened there? That was really weird. It's like brain can't quite make sentences. I, I don't, like I said, I don't really want to see any dungeons get revamped. I mean, if they did revamp Zulfarok to bring in more Mozala, that's fine. But it's not something I care about. I, I almost want to see him in other places. I don't feel like going back to Zulfarok and redoing it will, it'll, it'll, give you more of that, but it will take away all the weird stuff that was already there, and I kind of want them to keep that. Sure. But, yeah, I guess that is my answer. I don't want to see them do that. So, yeah. It's not going to upset me, and if they do it, fine. But for me, I just don't feel it. I'm just not interested. I've got a counterpoint, though, and this is something that I hadn't really, really considered up until this point. I've been a pretty staunch opponent to WoW Classic, it's not something I personally want to go back and experience myself because I I hate I always say this and I did my time I did I did those things, but and this is sort of like the caveat here in circumstances like this, I think it has incredible value as sort of a living archive. Like Zulfarak is a great. This this whole scenario is a great example. They could do a new Zulfarak that feeds in the Moizala thing, that does all this other stuff, but because we have access to WoW Classic right now, and it's not going away, at least not anytime soon, it's still popular, people play it, they're still looking at doing like some things with the future, they're still releasing things here and there for it. I think they just released the Troll Dungeons, right? Their Troll Raids, I think. So, like... Zulgrub they did. Yeah, Zulamon's not for a while yet. Yeah. So it's still preserved and still technically playable, so we don't actually lose it. It, it, that, it, it I've never thought about it like that before until this question, so thank you, uh, Metalzani, because that's pretty cool. I think yeah, that they could for do me, that. Yeah, for me, though, whilst losing the stuff they've already taken out, is kind of a reason. It's not my main reason. My main reason is I simply don't care. Like I'm not. The question is, what one? If you do, you want them to revamp anything, and what one would you want them to revamp? But I don't want them to revamp any. Sure. I'm not that interested. Um, I will do them to get my character up to like level 50 and start doing Shadowlands content. But I'm much more focused on what the Shadowlands content is. And in the past, when they've done revamp dungeons for like current expansions, like when they revamped. Uh, Blackwing, not Blackwing, there. Um, Blackrock Spire, they they revamped Blackrock Spire in mm-hmm. in a uh, Warlords, for instance. It ended up with me just not having my old Blackrock Spire, and, and it's like, yeah, you can say it's archived, but I still can't go with my character to Blackrock Spire anymore. Sure, you know, I if I do, I'm in the other Blackrock Spire, which is not the one I want to go to. I want to go to this one on my level 120 character. Luckily, I already have everything I want out of that place. Um, but like, let me put it this way. Remember the dungeon sets? Yeah, I do. They're gone. Yep. 
and you have they to, should you have to be. get the replicas now because you can't get them yeah. anymore. And that's something I don't feel like should have should have happened. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know why they were I don't know why they were ever removed and not or not so put somewhere if, else really. If you do a revamp of Sulfurak, you have to be careful like do you keep the gear? Do you like the big bad pauldrons and all that stuff or do you redesign everything to make it like fit the way gear looks now? I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I'm saying for myself, I just am not that interested. It's just not something yeah. I care about. Totally, totally fair. I'm just appreciative of the question making me think about something that I was previously against in a different way, which I always appreciate. So thank you for that. Uh, our next one comes from Nightchild. Follow-up question. So you established that Jaina could have done more at Stratholme. I don't remember what failings Jaina works through in BFA. My ally Gil fell apart, so I moved to Horde early in BFA. Does Stratholm feature in her regrets, or do you think she has recognized that history? Oh, you definitely see, like, she has regrets about what happened with Arthas. Oh, yeah. Um, but she has regrets with, like, a lot of things. It's, it's not like he dominates her life or her, you know, regrets. She regrets, but she does regret what happened with him. She regrets what happened with her father. She regrets a lot of things. Um, she regrets working with the Horde as long as she did. Even even now that she has worked through it and has come to the point where she recognizes that she can work with the Horde again, she regrets what it cost her. And the deaths of everybody at, at Theramore is a big, it's a big wound that she has not, it has not closed up. It's she has moved to the point where she can accept that it happened, but yeah, it's it's absolutely something that is there. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think she regrets what happened with Arthas, but I also think to a certain degree that just because I said that stuff about her having been able to have done more doesn't mean that she necessarily sees it that way. Mm -hmm. um, for one thing, she was she was Antonidas's apprentice. She wasn't on the council. You know, she wasn't one of the council of six at the time. She would have at most, if she'd gone to Dalaran, like teleported there and said immediately, this is what's happening. There's no guarantee that they would have come in time. No, and we've also seen like in the past, like the resistance of the council to do anything half the time back then neither. So like, you know, their solution might well have been to like, you know, hit the thing from like Dalaran with like flame blasts. We don't know what they would have done. If, if or they might have wanted to form a committee and talk about it because it to be fair when Kel'Thuzad was experimenting with necromancy and they found out they did nothing to stop him from continuing to experiment with necromancy mm -hmm. they just kicked him out of the council yeah and they left him with all his research to do whatever oh we're going to we're going to confiscate his research but they didn't stop him for like you know he had his research in other places they really cost him nothing except their scrutiny they mm -hmm. stopped paying attention to it. So, yeah, I, I think that there's – it's easy for me, the, the player, to, to sit around and go, oh, she could have done this, she could have done that. But it's not necessarily the case that Jaina sees it that way. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's the hardest part, right? Like, And that's something we always have to consider. Whenever we talk about this stuff, we're always looking at it from an outsider's perspective. And one of the hardest things to do – if you're not the one writing the character is put yourself in that character's position and sort of realize what they feel and what they can see. And like, I can guarantee you, you know, Rossi and myself looking at this, we're going to have a different perspective than 
I don't know, Christy Golden, who has written this character and been inside the head of this character at some point, you know, or or anybody else who's had any sort of shaping of her quest or stories in the past, like it's always going to be slightly different and we're taking stabs at it. We're taking guesses at it. Right. So does, is it part of her regrets? She mentions something when she's talking about, you know, Arthas in several different locations that it is a regret, but it's not a regret of, I could have done more by being super powerful mage lady and going and doing mage things. It's, I could have found another way to help him or stop him from going over the edge. Is there more to it? Maybe. But a lot of stuff that we talk about is just speculation. It's, it, I would definitely think, like, if I'm speculating, Stratholme has to weigh on her if, for nothing else, she's an incredibly empathetic character. Like, that's been her thing since day one. Even when she was, like, super angry and doing that whole angsty thing that they wrote her through, it was because she felt so much pain and anger out of everything that happened because she feels so deeply. So is Strat one of those things? Probably. She hasn't flat out said it though. And until she flat out says it, we'll have no idea. But I think it does weigh. If I had to guess, I would say that it probably weighs on her at least a little bit. Anything else you want to add to that one? No, I think that one's pretty covered. All right. Our next one comes from Shadana, who I hope had a wonderful game with uh, their their kid. And I hope our suggestions over the last show helped with uh, picking a system. Uh, So also, while I'm on a roll in a recent podcast, y'all discussed the problem of gathering story plot points because the zone's limited to one faction. I'm actually fine with that, though. I think the people who care about the storyline as a whole, with the exception of Rossi's struggle to play Horde this expansion, will play both factions. I enjoy not having all the information from one character. Eh, I could see both sides of that coin, I guess. Like, if you're really deep into to your character and the immersion of your character, it makes sense. Like, if you're someone, and, and Rossi talked about this a little bit earlier... I also have written an incredible amount of RP revolving around my character Loader, who I've had for, you know, he existed five years before WoW was a thing and then became a thing in WoW and has been, you know, my main OC, Don't Steal, for, you know, that entire time. And I have certain feelings of how he approaches things and how he sort of looks at things. But me as the player... I like having access to all that information. And so I I see that there's a value in both. There's a value in having it be faction specific where you have to play both to get it. But some people don't have that time. Some people want the story, but can't level something on both, both factions. And that gets into that weird, how do you balance that for those? And that's where it becomes a problem. It's, It's almost like that where story used to be hidden in like mythic level rating, and unless you were a mythic level raider, you didn't get to see some very key things like Chogal. Uh, there's so many odd things that, that you just miss out on that made players feel bad. And sometimes with the, the faction specific stuff, that happens as well. And I don't know where the balance point is for that, but it's definitely not an easy one to find. What do you think? Um, well, I mean, you know, if you really cared about the lore, you'd, you'd, you'd mythic raid. <laughs> Obviously, you don't care that much. If you otherwise, you'd get a mythic rating character. I, I mean, 
sometimes I think we, the people who play this game, forget what it's like to not be us. Yeah. Like, it, it, for every person has a different time and commitment thing. Like, where some people, like, you know, really, really like the game and really enjoy playing it, but can only play for like an hour at a time because, you know, they have kids and jobs and life, and you can't. You know, when I first started playing WoW, it was at a, a time in my life where I had a lot of free time, and I was like, I'm, I was older than most people playing it were. Um, I was in my 30s, and so, but I had, I had, it was in a situation where I was home and I could play, and so it wasn't an issue for me. But nowadays. Every alt, the, the reason I'm even thinking about leveling my horde alt right now is because I'm going to have the, the XP boost. Otherwise, it's really hard for me to, to level that character and, like, they're alone. Like, because your alliance and horde characters aren't together, that it's just easier to level up more characters in the same faction. Whatever your faction is, it's easier to, okay, I'm going to level another character, but if I level them on this side with my other characters, I can send them money when they need it. I can get them stuff they need. Whereas if you're playing on the other faction, you don't, if you don't have any characters over there, then that character is on their own. Yeah. And unless you're in a guild or something with a support structure. And that's... It is a pretty big time commitment to ask people to do just so they get to see the story. Especially right now, where like in order to see the Battle for Azeroth story, you have to have a character who starts at level 110. And it's a lot to play through, especially yeah, with like you, the war campaigns and everything else. If you don't have that character, then you know you're gonna have to get up there first. Then you, it's more doable now with the XP bonus, and you know a lot of us are home. So, I don't, I'm not gonna say up front that it is too onerous to ask, because I don't think it's it, it is entirely beyond the pale to expect people to play both. But at the same time, if people don't have the time for whatever reason they should still be able to understand what's going on. Um, especially, like, I think Battle for Azeroth went a little too far because you're an Alliance character, but you have no idea why you're going to Aldir. It's it's barely mentioned. If Even if you do the quests in Nazmir to unlock it, you still barely have an idea of what's going on with Gahoon. You're like, mm-hmm. um, I guess he's bad. He certainly did one bad thing, like, that that whole Joseph Conrad Heart of Darkness thing that we've done multiple times in WoW now, we did it again. We even named the character Conrad this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really do feel like there's there's a line where it's not that you shouldn't have unique stories for each faction. It's just that you shouldn't have a raid where one faction really understands the stakes and the other faction is like, well, I guess there's bad stuff here. Okay. And that's old dear. I, I will I will never believe that Old Deer was ex- executed both properly for both factions. If you go into Old Deer as Alliance, you barely understand why you're there. Um, if you've played both factions, then you oh okay, Blood God, real bad. But that's only if you've actually seen the the Nazmir quests. Uh, and I I did them on the beta, which meant all those really cool cinematic moments weren't in the game yet when I did it. So I don't know the story beats. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it gets to a certain point. Like, I, I was just on the Shadowlands Alpha today, and there's a certain point in the storyline where it's like, big, amazing thing happens, and it just moves on to the next bit. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll get to see that when it goes live. 
But if it was Battle for Azeroth, I wouldn't get to see it when it goes live because I didn't play Horde. You know, and that's I think that it gets to a point where it can be too much. It's not a bad idea. It's not just always bad. I just think its execution in Battle for Azeroth was a little off. Yeah, no, I, I think I can agree with that. All right. Uh, we have one last one left. Uh, actually, it looks like it's a bit of a long one. So let's go ahead and get into it. Greetings, watchers. I hope you are doing well during lockdown. I have two questions concerning the Diablo world. First question is inspired by a topic from a recent episode. Tyriel is afraid of what we might become if our mortal hearts are tempted by power, power that can easily be bestowed upon us by our loving mother, Lilith. Would you like to see the Nephilim from Diablo 3 becoming quest bosses or other important NPCs in Diablo 4, similar to the playable characters in Diablo 1 becoming important characters in Diablo 2, uh, Bloodraver, the Summoner, and Diablo's Vessel? Second question, do you think that we will travel to Scovos Isles in Diablo 4? I imagine they already have the fundamentals of the place as it was in the works for Diablo 3. What do you think their artifact, the Sightless Eye, uh, it is said that it allowed communication, could it have been used to communicate with Lilith while she was banished? Regards from the north, across the Atlantic. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about this quite yet. I'm just going to let you go because I know it's Diablo and I'm not going to stand in your way. Okay, I'm going to go with the second part first then. Uh, I don't think the Sightless Eye was used to communicate with Lilith because if I don't think that's how the 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 Amazons go about it. I mean, Scovos has got a lot going on uh, and I don't mm -hmm. think that that's something that they would have done. But I do absolutely want them to go to Scovos. I've wanted them to go to Scovos for years and years. Oh yeah, uh, we've never actually seen Scovos. Uh, it's been mentioned, but we've never actually been there. So yes, I definitely want to see Scovos at some point. Um, as for the Nephilim, this is one I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, one of the things I want, I, I do think that they have to do something with the Nephilim. Um, to a degree, they they set up a situation where they have this this important character discover their power and eventually become practically unto a god like by the end of diablo 3 reaper of souls you've beaten the entire the power of all of the 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 evils in one go you've beaten diablo when he's when when he's channeling the power of all seven evils then you beat you know the the, the former archangel of wisdom now the angel of death while he's using the power of all seven evils and his own power and the power of death that he got access to. So he's already like, he's God moding it. And then you come in and you God mode back on him and beat him and kill him. And you're standing there and Tyriel's wetting himself going, Oh, this isn't good because Tyriel realizes he doesn't think that the hosts of heaven and hell could stop you. Which was so, always the fear to begin with, right? Like, that's what started so, a lot of this trouble in the first place. Yeah. So here's the question. What happened to that person next? Like, those Nephilim, if we assume that those Nephilim were all somehow there, if because if you played in, in multiplayer, you, you're going to see other Nephilim doing other stuff. If we assume that the playable Nephilim were all there at, at those events, they, they banded together to fight Diablo, they banded together to fight... Um, Malfiel. What did they do next? Where did they go? Like, did they just 
not go back to Sanctuary? Because like, Sanctuary seems like it didn't get a lot of help. And if they, just, if they went back to Sanctuary, you would expect that they might carve out their own fiefdoms. But did they? Is that what happened? Is that why the world didn't get reunited? Because you know, squabbling god kings are ruling it all over it and they're neglectful? I mean, who knows? I don't know. I would definitely like to see what happened. Where did they go? Um, and for that matter, I don't know. I mean, there's just there's a ton of stuff I would like to see them do with that, like the idea of what they what the Nephilim have been up to, what what happened to them. Are you playing a Nephilim in Diablo Four? It doesn't seem to be the case. Um, but but anybody could theoretically become a Nephilim now that the World Stone's destroyed. Any human, that's it's. It's the birthright of every human on that planet. Mm-hmm. It's why Lilith is coming back. Uh, so that's an open question. I mean, you're certainly drawing upon, you know, the, the, I played the demo. You're drawing upon some ridiculous powers. So where are you getting it from? Are you getting it from your Nephilim blood? You know, that's, there's questions that I've, we don't have answers to right now. Um, but I would definitely be interested in seeing that. And I, I'd love to see Scobos. I think that would just be brilliant. Um, especially, I mean, we don't really know exactly where Scobos is. So, yeah, it could be off the coast of the part of the world they're going to show. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm down for that. Yeah, I also very much want to see Scobos. I've wanted to see Scobos for ages and ages and ages. Uh, I... Also, don't have any idea how the the ar- their artifact works. I don't think they've ever really explored it in any of the medias. So it'd be interesting to see if that's even something that they talk about or if that's something that becomes a center point because powerful artifacts, now that the world stone is gone, might be a focus. So maybe it becomes a plot point where we're going to Scovos to stop Lilith or insert person here from getting it maybe it's a nephilim going to go grab it and we have to we have to stop them from getting it for whatever reason there's a ton of things that could happen there and also with lilith coming back it's the idea of of seeing what the nephilim are doing is is real interesting to me because i keep going back to this like the sin war books and and the sin war trilogy and thinking how lilith was able to sort of push and goad and coerce and she didn't really have to do a whole lot, right? Like she didn't, she didn't have to orchestrate big grand things. Udyssean just kind of like, she nudged him. She knew what buttons to push, and he went for it. Now, what if she starts doing that with the Nephilim from you know the last game? What it, you know us with a terrible power that destroyed, you know, heaven and hell alike? What happens if she's whispering in those ears? What becomes of those folk? And you know, Matt brought up a great point. What even is a Nephilim at this point? Like, anybody can become one. We don't know, like, how that's going to play out. Is every human just going to be insanely powerful in some capacity? Like, there's so much that could that they could do with this. Uh, for me, I'm just excited. It is really what it boils down to. I want to go to Scovos. I hope we go to Scovos. I hope we get to see a whole bunch of other stuff. I, I want to see... You know, more of more of that sort of raw old power brought in because 
nothing like the Sin War power level has really been in game until recently. And I'd like to see what happens after. Yeah, looking at the map, by the way, I went back and made sure, opened up my old Sanctuary map. Um, the Scobos Isles are off the coast of the area that we're going to see. Um, we're actually, I think right now, we're basically going to be seeing mostly the, you know, from Skosglen south, uh, south through the Dry Steps to Kedjistan, to the, uh, you know, the swamps, and the area where the Witch Doctors and Crusaders are from into south of Karast and the Karajan Jungle. That's the area we're going to see up front. And Scovos is just off the coast, so it's possible they could go there uh, within the, you know, within the, exp- the game. But if not, you could always bring it in for an expansion or whatever. I definitely want to see more Scovos. And um, I'm going to also make this point, too, while we're talking about this. We've, we've been speculating a lot about who that is in the cinematic, and a lot of people have, have made the point that it might be uh, Lenarian, uh, Lilith, and... Uh, Rathma, basically mm-hmm. Lilith, Lilith and uh, Inarius's son, but we don't know for sure. It could be the playable necromancer. Okay, it just occurred to me it could be him. Yeah, because he was doing a whole bunch of weird stuff in three. Yeah, like so, when we come across him, he was researching like soul disturbances in each instance, wasn't he? Well, I mean. The other thing is, I meant the, the playable, the the Diablo three playable one, not the Diablo two playable one. We don't see the Diablo two playable one in Diablo three. We see his apprentice, right, right. But that's interesting in and of itself. So there's there's a lot going on that we could see more of. But yeah, I, I think in general, um, I would definitely like to see more. And I'm I'm gonna just stop there. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll stop at some point. Yeah, the show's already getting to the point where it needs to end. Well, that brings us to the next segment, which is Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, thank you very much, Joe. And uh, if all you guys out there, thank you very much for being here. If you've got an email for the show, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com, uh, subject line podcast at blizzardwatch, so we know it's for this show, or just mention Diablo because I'll grab it. Um, or you can you know go to our, our patron Q and podcast questions on our Discord and ask it there, and we, we take those too. Uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, this has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast, and we'll see you next week. 